says that we worship God in spirit and in truth. But since God is spirit, he's also invisible. So since God is spirit and invisible, the, the methods he uses to reveal his presence to us will always feel inadequate. God is spirit, God is truth, God is spirit, God is invisible. Uh, so when he reveals himself to us, there is this yearning inside of us to know more, just a little bit more. Therefore, God of the Bible appears to be a hidden God, but a hidden God who makes himself known to us. So the God of the Bible is invisible, he's spirit, but yet, on the other hand, he makes himself known. This places us in a precarious position in that God is real, but yet we can't see him. And because we can't see him, some would make the assumption that therefore he's not real. We as believers are challenged in that when we raise our hands, and we worship the only holy God that exists, the only God that is righteous, the only God that is true, the only God that is faithful, that we must be ourselves faithful to the process of a God we can't see. Frankly, it is for this very reason that some have turned away from the faith. They have turned away from the faith due to their limited Capacity of knowing God and knowing that He exists because they are operating on standards that are earthly. Standards, quite frankly, that uh, the human race have put together to determine if there is a God or not. So this persistent feeling among uh, some, it, it proves to be detrimental to a life of faith in that uh, they have a craving to visibly see God. Yet that craving remains, it goes unfulfilled. So they cease searching for him. They cease calling out his name. This downward spiral continues as they now begin to question, well, at the end of the day, what difference does any of it make anyway? Therefore, that feeling of the absence of the Lord, it leads to a lifestyle that is devoid of faith, devoid of morality, and in some instances, devoid of compassion. For the rest of us, for me, as we persistently cry out to the Lord with a desire to see Him, yes, a desire to hear God's voice as we see in Scripture, we desire to invite Him into our space and invite the Lord to come near Just a few moments ago when I said uh, 
the God of the Bible appears to be a hidden God, uh, that it didn't emphasize one important point. Right? The, God of the, the Bible is, is hidden, uh, but that point is the God of the Bible whom we worship, He also makes Himself known to us. Right? You, in other words, you look for something long enough, eventually, hopefully, you find it. You know, I, I always think of this uh, when I say statements like that. Uh, my wife likes to brag about how good uh, a finder of things she is. Someone's loses, uh, anyone loses anything in our house, there's one person that we know that can find it, and that is my wife. Amen? One time she made that statement, and uh, my son said, well, the reason that you find stuff better than anybody else because you lose more stuff than anybody else in the house. So if the Lord makes himself known, if God reveals himself to us, that should be our fuel for worship. This is why we should be so passionate about worshiping God. That if God makes himself known to us, uh, that should be our fuel to follow him better. Our fuel to tell others about him, to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Looking back on my notes, I discovered that just last year, I preached on this idea, just the idea of presence. And so this idea of presence is not new to this church, as I just broached the topic last year. And as you know, it is typically not my, uh, not my style to preach on something I've already preached on previously, unless I had clear direction from God himself Alright, so, so the question I needed to ask concerning uh, this new series on presence was why? Why? Why are we directed in sequential years to hear about what the Lord says about presence? Well, it doesn't take much to figure it out unless you are a spiritual hermit or lack discernments. Who knows, maybe you just didn't get it last time. Maybe it just went totally over your head, or maybe, maybe I didn't preach long enough on that topic. But nevertheless, here we are today. Presence, what does it mean? Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Either pages flip, or iPads, iPods, Androids on. Exodus 33, verse 7. The tent, or the Lord's presence in the tent. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tents and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, and it says here again, which is outside the camp. The presence of the Lord presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. 
I can feel it in the atmosphere that the presence of the Lord is here. Moses had a regular habit of taking a tent and raising it far away from the camp. That camp is where all the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, where they would set up their tents uh, in the wilderness as they journeyed onward to the promised land. Remember those tribes? Tribes of Levi, Naphtali, right? Dan, right? Uh, you remember all of those tribes. Uh, well, those tribes represent uh, the total population of the Hebrews. And as they traveled from Egypt uh, towards the promised land, uh, often they needed to stop. And when they stopped, uh, they set up camp. And as they set up camp, uh, Moses would set up a tent, according here to Exodus 33, verse 7, he would set up his, his tent outside of the camp. See, the Lord had promised the people that he would dwell in their midst, right? The Lord said, I will always dwell in you. I will be in the midst, in the middle of you. And if this is true, uh, why did Moses set up the tent outside of the camp? Doesn't make much sense. Look at Exodus 25, verse 8. Exodus 25, verse 8. God says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So here again, God is stating here ahead of time that when you go out into the wilderness, I want to be right in the middle of you. I want to be in the midst of my people. So what's going on? This uh, provides here a sense of tension. Well, did God want to be with his people? Or did God want to be outside of his people? It doesn't make sense. Verse 7 goes on to tell us that everyone who sought the Lord would leave the camp and do what? They would leave the camp and they would go and seek the Lord. So they had to go outside of, of the campsite and go and seek the Lord. Again, why wasn't the Lord in their midst? In fact, this would be like saying, in order for me to get really close to Jesus... But the first thing I need to do is leave the church. Well, we come to church today, but in order for me to hear from God, uh, we got to get out of here. If you are a child of God and in the midst of other children of God, you should be where God's people are because that's where God dwells. Scripture says what? Wherever there are two or three, what? Gathered in my name, there I will be where? In, in the midst of them, in the middle of them. So if God's people were gathered together as a tribe, why would God purposely have them set up a tent outside of the camp? Doesn't make much sense. But then there are reasons why people depart to church. And often it is due to spiritual dysfunction that sometimes Lord there or here. But it's not always the case. Because there's always another side to the coin. In other words, it may not be due to the dysfunction in the church. 
but could be due to the dysfunction in the individual. Therefore, let's look at the wider context to see what happened to Israel prior to Moses setting up this tent outside the camp. Exodus 32 opens that door for us. Exodus 32, verse 1. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You know, one of the tests to determine the effectiveness of understanding mission within the church is observing whether the church body faithfully continues when the leader is away. You want to know if the church is truly on mission, if the, if the church truly loves the Lord like they say they do, have the leader leave and see what happens. See if there's people trying to be the big boss. Amen? Oh, uh, the leader is gone. Now I can go ahead and do my thing and act the way that I want to act. Because now he's not here to watch. So after being in the wilderness for a little bit of time, the Hebrews insisted they needed their own gods. Even though they had been crying out for deliverance for years. They were saying, you know, we're here doing this Moses thing. Uh, we're doing this church thing. But you know what? It just ain't working for me now. This is fascinating. They cried out to the Lord for years due to the hardship, the slavery, the bondage that the Egyptians had placed them in. And then they had been out of bondage just for a few days or a few weeks or so. And now they're complaining that Moses is gone. What's going to happen to us? They complained about Moses because Moses was in the mountain meeting with the Lord. How many of us complain when things don't go the way we expect? Whether it's big or small, or things don't go as quickly as we want them to go, we soon lose hope. And then when that happens, we say, you know what, then I just need to do my own thing. I'm going to leave all that, I'll leave that to you all. And I'll just do my own thing. You see, when the Lord delivered you and, and, and have shown you grace and mercy, you were totally elated. Some of you, when you were saved, uh, you could have done a, a, a lap around the church about 50 times. When God uh, lifted that burden off of your shoulder, you were so happy. But as soon as we experience a little bit of trouble... As soon as a little struggle come our way, we default to our, our original spiritual position. Who or what is your default God? Is it the God of Scripture? Or is it the God of money? Is it the God of the way that you used to run with your boys or your girls? Who is your original God? It is the one that you return to when trouble arises on the horizon. 
You know, there's trouble coming, but you know what? I need to get back from where I felt good. You know, sometimes some of us, uh, we have cried out to the Lord to get out of trouble, and we get out of trouble once and for all, and then uh, we have a little struggle, a little uh, a challenge in our way, and the first thing we want to do is go back. I won't go back. I won't go back to the way things used to be. And, and then the rest of our song goes, until there's trouble that comes along the way, then I'll go back. You see, oftentimes the trouble that we face, it is nothing but a litmus test to determine how much we really love God. Do you not realize that? Eventually, you find yourself dipped into a bat of trouble, trying to discover what you come out as. When the squeeze comes on, God wants to know, do you still love me? As Jesus told Peter, Peter told Jesus, yes, I love you. Jesus asked Peter, but do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. But do you agapio, do you phileo me? Peter, do you, do you really love me? Uh, Peter said, yes, but Lord, you know that I love you. Do you love God? Do you really love God? I mean, do you really love Jesus? Is what you do week after week is nothing but for show, or nothing but pretend. You are a pretend Christian. For you, it is that one God or that one action you return to when things don't move as fast as you want them to move. This means that you believe ultimately that the Lord doesn't work for you. You know, again, it doesn't work. It's not good enough, not fast enough. So therefore, I'll take matters in my own hands and do my own thing. This trouble may be emotional or psychological rooted in the spiritual. Ultimately, it is spiritual issues that are going on. Even though these Israelites waited a long time for deliverance, even though they had finally been delivered, their present situation was too much for them. Your present situation is too much for you to remain faithful to God. Imagine that. Because if you take God away, then you really have nothing at the end of the day. If you turn your back on God, then you really have nothing. I have friends right now, right now. I know people right now, today. Today, turn their back on God. Totally, totally left the church, said, no, don't believe any of that dribble. And now, they're in crisis. Right now, they're in crisis. Right now. What do they have? Nothing. What will your God get you now? What will your God return to you now? See, the God of nothing will always return to you nothing. Because as the song says, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And God says, 
you got to have something if you want to be with me and I'm something. This is what God says. Amen? In other words, you can say that these individuals, that they were immature. Know that immaturity can be a deal breaker. Sometimes uh, people, they get a break because they're immature. You know what? Uh, you're such a such an age, so we're going to let you go this time. Amen. You know what? We know you made a big mistake this time, but we're going to let you off the hook, so you're okay today. Amen. Right? But sometimes your immaturity can be a deal breaker. What do you mean? In other words, sometimes God may not give an allotment for your immaturity. Because there are certain things, regardless of how old you are, that you should know better. Amen? Well, what are you talking about? For instance, you may have heard a news story just a couple, a couple of days old. A couple of teenagers driving a car wherever they were. They're throwing eggs at people. Right? They throw eggs at this one car, causes this car to flip over, the lady dies. Guess what? They are charging that team with murder. In our minds, in the back of our heads, we say we know they were just doing childish pranks. But sometimes your childish pranks, sometimes our immaturity will be a one-way street and there is no going back. You can't unshoot a bullet. Amen? So we thank the Lord for his grace. We thank him for his mercy all the time because without it, we would be in the same situation as some, deserving his wrath and not his presence. So, uh, for the children of Israel, uh, this was enough for the Lord to definitely say, he didn't want anything to do with him. I don't even want to see your face. Exodus 32, again, 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Two things there. Number one, God says, they're just stiff-necked people. You know what happens when you get really, really mad? Sometimes, sometimes you, all you see is red. Some people say you're just so angry. Or sometimes your body tenses up so much you can't even turn your neck, right? One of those things, uh, God says, that's the way they act towards me. Uh, therefore, God says, okay, let me alone, right? You've seen those fight before, right? You know, two people, two people getting ready to fight, and you're trying to stop one. No, you can't be fighting. That person says, what? Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm going to get them now. I'm going to get them now. He said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. So Moses in the background intercede. Oh, God, you can't do that. You can't destroy them. Hold on, hold on. So that was this one thing, right? The fact that God was ready to destroy them. The second thing really dealt with the faithfulness of Moses. What? Because God says, what is in the passage? He says, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Who, would, who wouldn't want to be made a great nation out of? But Moses said, no. 
Not me, Lord. Not me. Don't make a, don't make a great nation out of me. Please don't. The Lord was hot like the fire of an incinerator and was not having any nonsense that came from the same people who waited years for deliverance but couldn't wait a few days for Moses to deliver God's words to them. Moses then interceded on their behalf and the Lord relented. He didn't allow his full wrath to consume an impatient and disloyal people. But they did have to pay. Oh yeah, they still had to pay for their unfaithfulness. Really? Exodus 32, verse 35. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people. Why? Because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. So Lord didn't banish him all the hell. But what happened? Disease broke out. Disease broke out everywhere. God's people were now in a difficult situation as they were attempting to rectify their position with the Lord, but he was having none of that, at least for now. He said, no, I'm not having any of that mess. Listen to what he said about them again in Exodus 33.5, you are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, Exodus 33, verse 5, if for a, a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Listen. Now, so now, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. So one of the first things that God said to the children of Israel was, number one, I can't be in the midst of you because I'd be done to tow you all up. Number one. Second thing he says, take off your earrings. Take off your necklaces. Take off the bells off your ankles. Take all of that off. Some would say, oh, that's why in the church, ladies shouldn't wear all that stuff on their face, on their neck, and so on and so forth. That's why a lady shouldn't be wearing jewelry because it says it right here in Exodus. But see, the problem was, you see, all that jingle jangle, those are probably little anklets and so on and so forth with other gods that represented Egypt. All those things represented the old life. Right? Some of us, I know some of you, so I'm not necessarily talking about you, but I am talking about you at the same time. So take it for what it is. Can you say Amen. Now I'm going to say what I need to say. Uh, some of you, you end up getting tattoos and so on and so forth. When you're young, when you're old, you can't take it off. And some of, and for some of you, some of the, some of those, for some of you, not all, some of you, those tattoos represent the old self. And then after you come to Christ, that's all you see. How do you take that off before God? I, I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying, Amen. Which is why, do you know that in the Old Testament law, Scripture tells the believer not to make any markings on their bodies? Are you aware of that? That's part of the law? Oh, we're, thank goodness we're not on the law, but we're, we're, we're under grace now. Amen. But for me, I ain't taking no chance. Right? The only mark I had on my body is when a little girl hit me upside the head when I was a little boy. 
you know, playing around. That's the only mark I had, right? So therefore, for some of us, those, those necklaces, those ornaments, they represent the way of the old life, the way of sin. But for the children of Israel, they were signs of arrogant rebellion. You see, why would the Lord want to be near the person who wears signs and symbols which are a remembrance of a false god or celebratory of sinfulness? Why would God want to be around you? God said, you know what, y'all better step back. You better, you better step back because you come near this and I'm just going to, I'm going to tell all of y'all up. So I, this is why even the priests, as you may recall uh, in the Old Testament, that the priests had to make a sacrifice before their sins, before they went into the tabernacle. Why? Else they would be killed on the spot. You remember the priest that when he went in, two things he had to have. Number one, he had to have bells on his clothes. Amen? So when he walked, you would hear what? Bells. Uh, when he moved a hand, you would hear what? Bells, right? Uh, but and then after five minutes, if you stop hearing bells, after ten minutes, hey, I haven't heard bells in a while. What happens now? That means he didn't, he didn't drop dead. So now the other priests, they had, a, they had an issue. Okay, so if he dropped dead before God, because he was not right, who's going to go in and get him? So, what every priest who had to go in to minister before the holies of holies had to do, in addition to the bells on his garments, he also had to tie a rope around his leg. So when he went in to the holy of the holy, if he fell down dead, if there was no more good humor man sound, that they would grab the rope and do what? Drag him out. Because who's going to say, oh man, my friend died. Let me go in and get him. No, they said, we ain't having none. I ain't going in and get my friend. Because if I go in and get him, that means I may die as well. So they weren't playing that. So God, he didn't want to be around anyone who was sinful. He didn't like that. So therefore, that tent was set upside, outside the holy, outside of the camp itself. So, uh, but the children of Israel, they still had access to God through Moses at the tent. But they had to remain at arm's length. What about you and your relationship with the Lord? Are you near? Or does God want you at arm's length? That when you come into the presence of the Lord, does God say, he stinketh? God says that their uh, righteous unrighteousness stinketh. That their worship is not a pleasing aroma to my nostrils, but their aroma needs right guard. Their worship needs dial. Their worship needs degree because their Worship stinks. How is your worship before God? See, before we can talk about getting into the presence of the Lord, we must talk about where we are today. 
You say, well, I have Jesus Christ. Well, do you really think that Jesus wants any old thing? Do you think that Jesus wants any kind of worship out of you? Do you think that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will take anything from you? Well, we just, we just finished reading. We just had communion, right? Because you say, well, that's for the Old Testament. But we just read uh, about uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read it. It said what? It said some people are ill. Some people are weak. And some people are what? You, you, didn't, you didn't say it right. Some people are ill. Some people are weak. And some people are what? Now, are we talking about Old Testament saints or New Testament saints? Uh, you didn't hear me. Come on. Are we talking about Old Testament saints or New Testament saints? Are you an Old Testament saint or a New Testament saint? What does that mean for you? You think you're walking up here in any old kind of way worshiping God? God's saying your worship is unacceptable. God said he doesn't like your worship because you have not come at him rightly. Well, I realize time has just gotten away. I, I'm, I'm just, I can't believe this. Uh, it, it was my intent on just dealing with one verse uh, today after I began the whole process. It was very clear that as I worked through the message that this whole time was going to take up uh, just on one verse. And now I'm shocked. I'm only halfway through my message. I'm totally shocked. Uh, but uh, that is the Lord's will. But I want you to know that if you want to hear more, come back next week. Amen? Amen. Number one. I'm just getting kind of started. I'm just out the gate. But I want you to know that God wants to meet you face to face. God wants to know you this year. You need to know God better this year than you have any other year in your life. Number one, because some of us, we don't know uh, how many more days we have left. And for others, we have lots of days left, but we have a calling and we cannot shrink back. What are you going to do? What are you going to do now that you know what you know? I've done my duty. Now you must do yours. Repent, get right, confess, and live and witness for Jesus Christ. Let's pray.